We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Question, it's funny when people try to compare Notre Dame's success to the SEC. An entire conference, even though there was one school with more national championships than Notre Dame, who was three and five against Notre Dame. In a tar- even though there was one school with more hmm. about, I think it's talking about Alabama there. I, I would assume. Yeah. Would assume. So yeah. Um look, history is defined by recency when people are having these conversations, I mean, you say, well, you know, Notre Dame has a, a winning record over Alabama. I'm pretty sure it's about Alabama. Let, let me just go here and check real quick. But um, I think, I don't think Bear Bryant, I think he only, I don't, I don't think Bear Bryant ever beat Notre Dame. Now that I think about it, I think they had a win in 1986 was Alabama's first win over, over um, Notre Dame. And I don't think that, Bear was the coach on that team. I could, yeah, it was Ray Perkins was the coach on that team. So Bear was Ofer against Notre Dame. You know, they beat him in seventy three in the Sugar Bowl. Notre Dame beat him in seventy five in the Orange Bowl. They beat him in seventy six in South Bend. Beat him in nineteen eighty in and Birmingham. And then Alabama's won three of the last four. But here's the deal: nobody cares about Notre Dame beating Alabama in nineteen seventies. Just don't care. People care about what's happened in the last decade. In the last decade. Notre Dame against the best SEC schools has gone over, over two against Georgia, over two against Alabama. Now they've beaten everybody else. I mean, nobody else in the SEC has beaten them. They beat South Carolina. They beat LSU twice. Uh, they beat Vanderbilt. I mean, so so they've won those games, but those aren't the games that you're defined by at Notre Dame. You're defined by how you did against Georgia and Alabama. Right. That's just the reality of it. You know, just like at Michigan, you're not defined by you you beat Michigan State every year. You're defined by do you beat Ohio State or not. You know, and that's that's the thing is is Notre Dame has played Alabama on the big stage twice in the last decade, and Alabama smacked them both times. And you know they they were much more competitive against Georgia, but they lost. And so I mean that's what people are going to do until you start beating them. It's as simple as that. You're going to have to deal with this stuff until Notre Dame wins. And when Notre Dame starts wins. You know, that's basically where it comes from. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Here's here's one. Uh, let me get let me get back up here. I'll answer this one here from John A. One. If Hartman wins the Heisman Trophy, would he be bigger than Brady Quinn at Notre Dame? That only happens, John, if he wins a championship. Look, the Brady Quinn is a legend in Notre Dame for a lot of reasons. One, he's got a Irish name. Uh, he came from I think the name of his high school was I think I think they were the Irish. I think Dub, I think that's Dublin Kaufman is an Irish like type of school. I think they had. I think that's true. Uh, he played for a long time. He was kind of part of the revival for a period of time at Notre Dame. He was a warrior. He was, a, I mean, just had just played his butt off. And he was a really big, tall, strapping, good-looking kid guy that represents everything that you think Notre Dame should be about, right? Mm-hmm. Graduated in four years with like, or in three years with like two degrees, you know, all academic, all-American type of guy, you know, winner, all that stuff. And so I don't think Sam Hartman would – the only way Sam Hartman, to me, has any chance to come become bigger than Brady Quinn is if he wins a championship. I, I think – and even then, it's debatable. Yeah. You know, because it's it's all what Brady did over the period of his entire career and is still doing. I mean, part of the reason Notre Dame is going to be able to compete on the NIL sphere with the kids who aren't looking for the immediate paydays is is what Brady Quinn is doing. With the NIL, with the collective he's working on. I don't even think it's a collective with the fund that he's working on, right? He's his his love for Notre Dame. He didn't just impact Notre Dame in the four years he was here. He's impacted it since he's left. Well, but I, it would yeah. Ahead, oh no, I was Go just ahead. gonna say I think that that's a key point though that you're making, Brian, is the fact that look, I think it's cliche to say sometimes, but Brady Quinn's a Notre Dame guy, man. I mean, from the start to the finish, right? I mean, he came here played his entire career at Notre Dame, continues to love the program, to support the program. And I think that he has become almost mythical with how people think about him, right? I mean, because, I mean, Brady Quinn was incredible to watch. He was one of my favorite players, you know, kind of through the fandom. But then also the fact of what he continues to do for the program, I mean, that's just, 
it's the longevity stuff, man. I, I don't honestly don't think, and this is no sh- I mean, I, I don't think Trevor Lawrence could come here for one year and become more beloved than Brady Quinn. Like, I just don't think that's realistic. Like, I just don't. You know? It would it's have just- to be Heisman, 39, 4,000 yards, and a national championship. It ha- right. it have to be but that. like like and, a Cam Newton Auburn type of thing, right? right? Like right. Yeah. It, yeah. Honestly, Ryan, it'd have to be something like that. It would Joe Burrow at LSU. I mean, he was only there two years, but he's a legend because he won a championship, right? I mean, if Burrow if Burrow has the same stats that he had, and they get knocked out by Oklahoma in the semifinal, they don't they don't talk about Joe the way that they do now. Even just sure. three years later, it'd have to be a championship. And even then, I just I still don't know. Like he would be that now, but in five years it'd be like, "Hey, remember Brady Quinn?" <laughs> it, w- it would be that, in my opinion. I-, I think it would be that. But that it's a really good question, I'm, and you know what, John? I hope we get to find out. I hope we get to find out because if Sam and if Sam Hartman wins the Heisman Trophy, Notre Dame is really freaking good this year and is a playoff team. Yes, with with the, so. with what you think the run game is going to be on top of if he is Heisman worthy numbers passing wise, mm-hmm. like yeah, yep. Irish in Ohio. This is a really good question. He says, Brian and Ryan, neither of you were originally high on Hartman. Was there someone else in the portal you guys originally wanted or someone you wanted that did not enter the portal? Have a good weekend, guys. I know for me, Ryan, I the guy that I really wanted early on that I hoped would jump in the portal is Tyler Van Dyke. That was my guy kind of from the beginning because I was like, that kid's got a lot of tools to be a really good college quarterback in this system. But but uh, he obviously never jumped in the portal. That was the guy that I yeah. kind of looked at early on as like, oh, I'd love to have that guy because he can throw the deep ball. I think the system fits him. I think the, s- the players that are on s- the roster fit him. I think getting ha- him out of that insane, cancerous offensive culture, which who knows what that's going to be next year because they just fired Josh Gaddis, which is for one year. That, wild, you know, man. I, I had a buddy tell me that he's he's reading reports from that he hasn't been like doing any recruiting the last few weeks. Like this apparently – was expected. Like I have a feeling, I have a feeling what's going to come out is they needed to fire him at, by a certain date to, you know, it's going to be some kind of like when UConn waited to fire Bob Diaco till a certain date, because then they wouldn't have to pay him as much money. I wouldn't shock me if it's something like that. That's with Josh wild. Gattis. That's yeah. wild. But I, I mean, the, the, the name that I really liked early on that never entered the portal was Michael Pratt from Tulane. I've really liked Michael Pratt a ton. I was good with Hudson Card too. Like I would have been okay with Hudson. I was Card good with it, but I'm, I yeah. think that Hartman's. Yes, you know, as I studied the film, Hartman's the better pick there. And by the way, Notre Dame would have got Sam Hudson Card if they wanted him. Right. Just so right. people understand, he went to Purdue for Pete's sake. Yes. Right. Yes. They absolutely, and he pursued Notre Dame. Hudson Card. We'll say this now. Hudson Card pursued Notre Dame. But Notre Dame just kind of had they, – they liked his talent, but he they just need – like, to me, Hudson Card's a not-as-good version of Tyler Buckner. Not very experienced, doesn't play a lot of ball, kind of a playmaker. Um, or, or, excuse me, a more experienced, not-as-talented version of Tyler Buckner, to me, is he's got ability, but he hasn't played a ton of football. Are we really sure he's the guy that's going to come in and, and, and be that guy? And, and the answer at the end of the day was no. And, and I was asked this question once by somebody that he said, you know, where would you put card on your list? And, and I said, I, I really don't have him on my list. I like him a lot, but of the names that I just was given, he'd be at the bottom of my list because of those guys, they all, I know who they are. I know what they're going to be. And if you're going to go with a guy that you don't know what he's going to be, go with Tyler Buckner. You know what I mean? And then go get, go get a, 
a, a good backup quarterback, you know, somewhere like Ohio State did. That kind of guy. But, you yeah. know, go get Keaton Slovis or something as a backup in case Tyler gets hurt or something like that. But if you're going to go for a portal quarterback to come in and, and be the guy, you've got to get somebody that is a proven player. And Sam Hartman was without question the best on the board for that. You know, and even if you didn't take some of the other things that we had heard about Devin Leary, the reality is, is Devin Leary's injury history is just too much. Was too much. It's just too much. You couldn't, you couldn't run with, you couldn't go with that, Ryan. I mean, just mm-hmm. what are you getting? You, you, you know, it's not, and it's not like he broke his ankle or tore his knee up last year. It's, it's a shoulder. It's an, it's an, it's a upper body right. thing. Yeah, yeah. So you just, you just, you couldn't take that chance. You just couldn't my, take that chance. I, I will say to the question, my hesitancy with Sam Hartman early on, and I admitted this kind of on the board, I think, or maybe I said on the show, I was evaluating him too much from an NFL perspective. I was. Sure. I was. Sure. I looked at him and I said, he's not incredibly gifted. You know, he's 6'1", 210, middling size. He is, doesn't have the strongest arm of all time. He's an okay athlete, not great. But I mean, the point, the point blank to it is, and, and the, inter, the interceptions are something that he needs to kind of get a hold of a little bit, right? In that system. But what turned me around is that then I looked at it from a different perspective. Kids throwing 77 touchdowns in two years, right? He's a leading touchdown passer in AC history. Sam Hartman might never be an NFL quarterback to the highest degree, but he's a really good college quarterback. Like, there's no doubt. And, for immediate return for next year, we'll talk about a proven commodity. I, I have a really good idea of what I am going to expect out of Sam Hartman. You know, I think there's a really, really high baseline with a player like that because he's done everything you need him to do, man. Like if, if a Notre Dame quarterback gives me what Sam Hartman's been over the last few years, they're going to be a really good team. If he takes a step, then you're going to be a tough team to beat. Like that's the point blank period to it, right? So I think that it was just a different – Different vantage point I looked at from Sam Hartman that changed my opinion yeah. on him a little bit. I I, I misevaluated what was important in yeah. his skill set early. My my miss, Ryan, too, was obviously as I've watched him play a lot, but it's like kind of watching him play as I'm just watching the game, right? And you see the misses. You see the like, dude, how did he miss that? Like you see all the sacks he takes. And then, you know, you see that stupid mesh, and I absolutely hate that. And then you break the film down and you're like, okay, that receiver ran that route wrong or – He's not able to set his feet and make that throw because the mesh is taking him into the line and he's got to try to throw while like jumping in the air sometimes to get over the line. And you start to see a lot of those things. You say, hey, look, when he's able to do the things that will be asked of him in the Notre Dame system, he's pretty good. And he can run this system really well. You watch how well he throws the deep ball. You watch how well he he look, he's gonna look, the receivers are gonna have to have a mentality of you can't take plays off like we saw from them last year because you don't know when Sam's gonna throw you the ball. Or where, or hey, I'm covered, so I'm gonna stop running. No, he's gonna, you're covered. He's gonna throw that ball up and give you a chance. And if the receivers don't fight for balls, he's gonna throw picks. I think that hurt him at times too. Ryan is a good number of the picks he had to me were mesh scheme related picks, as opposed to him just making a lot of dumb decisions. He'll make some. He'll force some balls now. Don't don't get it twisted. He'll force some balls. You're like, dude, you know, come on, man. What 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 are you throwing that ball for? I know. But, I hate the mesh. I hate the mesh. Yeah. Mesh is stupid. Yep. I saw someone said it worked for Wake. Wake Force isn't very good at running the football. <laughs> does it really right. work for Wake? It does it no. really? No. It it works for them because they have good receivers, but they don't have a lot of speed at receiver. Yeah. And what that has allowed them to do is kind of get into their routes and, and get free. 
Yeah. That's going to be the big difference for, for Sam Hartman is with all due respect to A.T. Perry and Sage Surratt, th- those guys don't run like the Notre Dame kids run, in my opinion. And, you know, we'll see if I'm right on that or not. But I think that's going to be a thing that he's going to really like is their speed. There's some speed to work with out of the backfield and a receiver to me. So let's get to some more here. We got we got this one from uh, – from uh, I'll answer this one quickly from John A1. Ryan, sure. if you have an opinion, you can share it. Would Brandon sure. Wimbush's career at Notre Dame been any different if Tommy Reese was his quarterback coach his entire career? I don't think so. It, well, it would have been different. He would have been better, but not world's better uh, because I don't know if Tommy really knows how to coach that type of quarterback yet, but I definitely think he would have been better. Um Brandon Wimbush was a much better quarterback in high school than he was in Notre Dame because he didn't get ruined by Mike Sanford yet. So, but the other thing too is, is for Brandon to have been coached by Tommy Reese, Tommy would have been two years out of his playing career. Sure. Now this version of Tommy Reese, sure. But at the time, Tommy would have been like 24, the first year's coaching Brandon, 25, you know, like he wasn't ready to be that guy yet. I don't think he was ready to be that guy in 2017. Right. But he's not the same guy now that he was in 2017. He was 25, 26 in 2017. I think he he was better, but I still don't know if that's the type of quarterback that he is best suited for, in my opinion. But Tyler Buckner will will be that chance to kind of prove it because there's some similarities there between Tyler and Brandon, in my opinion, um, as, as players. All right. Here we got one from Zach Martin here, Ryan, about the bowl game. Yep, he said, Zach said, rewatch the South Carolina game. Does Hillman, Brandon Hillman, or other have the skill set to add a wrinkle similar to to DeCarrion Joyner, Wildcat with an actual threat in the passing game? Sure. Yeah, I mean, Brandon Hillman can throw the football now. I mean, Brandon Hillman's not Jalen Elliott as a quarterback. I mean, Jalen could throw, but Jalen was an athletic kid that was asked to throw the football. Brandon Hillman can. I I forgot Elliott was a high school quarterback. He didn't play DB till his senior year. Yeah. The thing about Brandon Hillman is he's not a power five quarterback. Brandon Hillman could be an FCS quarterback. Like if I'm James Madison, well, not they're not there anymore, but if I'm like Richmond or um gosh, all the J- I mean FCS James Madison even now, now. James Madison yeah. even now could probably yeah. still use my quarterback. Sure. To be honest. Old Dominion yeah. could maybe yeah. use him now as a quarterback. But definitely like when those schools were FCS schools, you know, Women Mary, um uh, Richmond, teams like that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, absolutely, he could play at that level, which means he could do that. Yeah, I think so. I absolutely think so. What would I would I use him there? I don't know. It's kind of gimmicky, you know. If you're I playing a, a team waste, that you don't think you can be. Talent too. Yeah, yeah. But if you well, like with that kid, they didn't have him playing quarterback though, right? They just kind of put him in as a wrinkle, a joiner. Yes. Kid. Well, and and I, I honestly I don't love how they use joiner because every time they give joiner the football, man, he makes a play. But it's just like he's in such a niche role that just doesn't touch the football enough, you know? Like it's. Brandon Hillman, I think, makes a bigger impact as a full-time safety than he does as a niche gadget player. That's just mm-hmm. where I am with it. Yeah. All right. Let's get to these some more. We got one from Seth Clark here, Ryan. Seth says, who are your early recruiting crushes in 2024 recruiting cycle on defense? Well, I got Jones a new one. Early one for me. Yeah. Yeah. I got a new one, and uh, it's the Leonard Moore kid. I, I broke his film down yesterday, put an update, just not an update, but like a um, just sort of an evaluation of him on the message board. I like that kid a lot. Yeah. Um, I'd take that kid now. If he wanted to commit this weekend, Ryan, I'd take it. I'd take his commitment right now. Partly yeah. because of how well Mike Mickens is recruited in the past. You know, you can kind of take a little bit of a of a flyer on a kid 
you know, uh, but I watched him. Mean, he can run. He's super long. His transitions when his technique is right are really good. He's got a lot of technical things he's got to clean up. Like a lot of technical things he's got to clean up. But man, that kid can that kid's got some tools now. Yes. Is he is he where Benjamin Morrison was? No. But does but he's got some tools, man. I would I honest and and then also, Ryan, you and I have talked a lot about this. If I'm gonna err on the side of taking the kid, I'm taking the kid from Texas. Right. I mean, I just sure. think that's a state Notre Dame needs to get into. Plays against very good competition. Uh, he's one of mine. He's one of my early crushes. Another one's a kid that Notre Dame's not going to get. They are visiting him today. And if you're on the message board, or if you read the article we put out, they are visiting him today. Uh, Jay Sean Ross is a kid I absolutely love. Uh, Notre Dame's not, not right now has no shot to get him, but I absolutely love that kid as a player. Love that kid as a player. He's another one that, that I like. I like quite a bit in this class, right? Yeah. Leonard, Leonard Moore is a really good one. Cause that, I mean, Guys, if you want to see, you want to ask length, right? What's length look like? Go watch Leonard Moore's film before oh the gosh. snap happens, man. His his arms are like down by his ankles, man. It's wild. Yeah, He's crazy. so long. Crazy. Demello Demello Jones is one for me. Oh yeah, the state that's of Georgia. D He's, Cooper's nephew. D Cooper's nephew, and he is a 6'1", 175 pound safety that can also play wide receiver, can play wildcat quarterback. He is being recruited by. Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, and most of them are offered have offered him as an athlete to play either on the yeah. offensive or defensive side of the football. Some like him at corner. Alabama likes him at safety. I mean, Notre Dame, excuse me, likes him at safety. He's a really good athlete all around, can change direction well, and he comes up with violence, man. Yeah. He's got some strike to him. I love that kid. DeMello Jones is yeah. a really talented football player out of Georgia. Yeah, I, I like that kid quite a bit. I like that kid quite a bit. I keep seeing people saying he's he's 155 pounds. Nobody that I know of lists him at 155 pounds. Yeah, where's so that I, from? I don't, I don't know where that's coming from. I've seen – that was met, said on the message board as well. Somebody said 155 pounds. He's gonna have to fill out. Number one, you look at him; he's not 155 pounds. Uh, I don't. I'm checking his huddle now because maybe that's on there. But that would have been when he put it on there, like when he first created his huddle account. Yeah, it's on his huddle account. Six one hundred fifty five oh, pounds. I promise you, that's what he was when he made his huddle account, which is probably like yes. two years ago. So, because uh, I was like, where are people getting this from? I just looked at that. He's not 155 pounds. He's at least 175 pounds right now to me when I look at yeah. him. When I look at pictures of him and when I watch him on the field. But it doesn't change the point of what is said is he definitely still needs to, to get stronger and get in the weight room. But he's a very willing tackler as well. Honestly, Ryan, part of the reason I like him is I think he can play field corner. I think he's got the range. He's got range like Cam Hart. He's got some of the coverage instincts that Benjamin Morrison has, although we don't, you know, because remember, Benjamin Morrison was a great man, press man, cover guy at Notre Dame, but he didn't do a lot of that at, at, at for Bro Free Prep. He rarely came up and played press man. You could just see that him, he understood routes, he could flip his hips, he could run, he could close. I, I don't, he's not as good as Benjamin Morrison, but I see boundary skills. And honestly, I like him too, because if I wanted to be a pure cover one team, I'm putting that kid in center field and feeling pretty good about my ability to, to play number to number, you know, uh, and definitely yep. cover the hashes. So I, I like the kid a lot, Ryan, and I think he brings some versatility to it. So I, I, I'm a big fan of that. Yeah, man, he's really good. I mean, there's, I mean, there's a lot of kids I really like though so far. I mean, uh, the Jackson Jones kid, 
They, yeah. the, the pass rusher that just decommitted from Oregon that Notre Dame's, you know, on love a little his bit. Film. Like he's, love yeah. I just wish he was a couple inches taller and a couple inches wide longer. I do. Man, but his he's, film is fun he's to watch. Bandy, man. He's yeah. bendy and explosive. I can yeah. get down with that kid. I can get down yeah, with that he's kid. He's a pretty good player. I, I'll tell you yeah. what, Ryan, a kid that I really like, and I don't know how to pronounce his last name, uh, mm-hmm. But I love that David Palapele kid. Is I'm, that's my best guess on how to pronounce his name. I I love that kid. It's I, David Palapele. David, I'm is just that kidding. How you say I don't, I don't oh, know gosh. actually. Um, <laughs> I love that kid's film. Again, three star kid, but that's the perfect kind of nose. And the six two, three oh five. You give me him or TJ Lindsay at nose in this class, and I'm feeling really good about the nose tackle pickup in this class. No yes. question about it. No yeah. question about it. We, we were joking um, in our group text yesterday. I remember about like. Imagine him and Justin Scott inside. It's just like, wow. oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> yeah. We we're talking about yeah, we we're talking about that last night. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Here's one from John A. One. Which opponent would would be the sweetest payback bowl victory for Notre Dame? Bama, LSU, Oklahoma, o, uh, OU, OU. I'm gonna say I'm gonna assume he's talking about Ohio State on one of those or Michigan. Um, I mean, the only school that Notre Dame has to pay back in those two ones is is is, is Ohio State and Bama. And for I, me, I could, bowl victory would be Bama because you're going to get a yeah, chance Bama. to beat Ohio State in the regular season. Yes. That, that's 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 number one for me, man, is Bama. I mean, 2012 still stings me, man. It does. I'm oh, not yeah. going to lie about it. Like, it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> 2020 wasn't nearly as bad. 2012. Because I thought still... the 2012 team could compete with them. I did. I yes. did. I thought they could yes. compete with Bama. I, I thought the 2020 team needed to play their brand, play their best game of the year to have a chance to beat Alabama. Yeah. But, Yeah. And and just what that would mean for this program to beat Alabama in a bowl game would be huge. A, a major bowl game would be huge. I mean, what payback does Notre Dame need to give LSU? They took the coach I didn't want here anymore, and Notre Dame has beat them the last two times they've played. I, what payback does Notre Dame have for LSU? They stole the punter, like Jay Bramlett. Like I, I don't know what Jay Notre Dame has Bramlett. to do to pay back to pay back LSU. So LSU's done me nothing but favors the last year and a half. So thanks the last year and a couple months. So I, I got no, I got no payback for them. Uh, let's see here. Uh, let me get down to f- a few more here real quick. Oh, here, here's a good one, Ryan. Ryan, how do you feel about the Utah tight end going before Michael Mayer in a mock draft? That would be the one from Daniel Jeremiah. And you told me about yeah. this. You're going to see that more and more and more from some of these mock draft people. It- Michael Mayer's brand doesn't sell. I mean, sure. and I'm not saying DJ's a clickbait guy. Like, I'm not. That's not what I'm saying here. What I'm saying is, is that Michael Mayer's brand. I had somebody literally t- on the on Twitter yesterday say this to me, Brian. It was like, oh, you don't take unathletic tight ends in the first round. I'm like, first and foremost, mm-hmm. <laughs> Michael Mayer's a pretty dang good athlete, man. First and foremost. Yeah. Second, that's why people draft Mike Kosicki over Dallas Goddard, Right. That's why that happens because you look for the flash. And I honestly, I'm, I'm going to put it like this, man. I had someone say something of, you know, uh, Dalton Kincaid is better in and out of breaks than, than Michael Mayer. I'm like, yeah, one's 240, one's 265. If he wasn't better in and out of breaks, that's a major issue, sir, for first and foremost. Why are we comparing apples to oranges? They're not the same player. It's not going to look And I the still same. think that's debatable. I do think I think it is too because yeah. I think that people misunderstand Michael Mayer getting in out of breaks because they look at him and they're like, you know, there's some tightness at times. It's like 
But yeah, he's 265 sure. pounds. It's not always going to be super smooth. But then you'll see him break off a route, and you're like, oh, he can get out of breaks. Yes. He can't. Yes. He can't. So I, I think it's ridiculous. I do. I think it's ridiculous. I think the only thing that Dalton Kincaid may have in Michael Mayer is that he might be slightly, and I don't even think it's that crazy of a of a margin. He might be slightly better straight line fast sure. than Michael Mayer. Michael Mayer, though, is a better blocker. He's better. I mean, Dalton Kincaid doesn't block for for one. He doesn't even like they don't use him that way. Michael Mayer has a bigger frame. Obviously, we talked about that. He's better in the air. He's a better blocker. He's more physical. I mean, I, I just don't understand what we're doing, man. I just don't understand what we're doing. I could at least, uh, Brian, I, I put it like this. I think the Darnell Washington stuff is also dumb, but at least I yes. can look at Darnell Washington and say, he is a better blocker than Michael Mayer. That's cool. At least there's something he's better at than Michael Mayer, right? The Dalton Kincaid thing, there's nothing that he. Th- I think he's better at than Michael Mayer. Like, there's nothing. And his ball skills aren't even in the same stratosphere as Michael Mayer. No. He was a system generated kid, right? And and that's the thing is like Michael Mayer did what he did with different court. I mean, you put Michael Mayer on that Utah team with the town around him against that schedule, and you know, he's he's doing some pretty darn good things, in my opinion. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's, just, it's comical. It really is, but it's it's unex it's not to be unexpected. I mean, it, Ryan, you know this. You mentioned it the other day. There's the whole paralysis by analysis thing. Right. Yes. And, and, you know, I, I look at it, who would you say are probably the two best defenses that Dalton Kincaid played this year? Would you, would you say that it, they're most a- talented, athletic, whatever, would you, would you agree with me that it's Florida and Oregon state? Yeah. Oregon's in there. USC's Oregon. in there. I, I might put Oregon over Florida. Okay. But, okay. Yeah. So here's what he did in those three games. I'll give those three games against Florida. Yep. He had two catches for 29 yards. Against yep. Oregon State, he had three catches for 17 yards. He had 11 catches against Oregon for 99 yards. Yeah. Nine yards a catch. Yes. It, four for 35 for 8.7 against Stanford. Right? He had 16 catches for – this is where he made his money. <laughs> People are obsessed with the game he had against USC. 16 catches for 234 yards. That's what they're obsessed with. And that's – and and he's new. Right. That's the thing is he's new. He he kind of broke out this year. Yeah. And so there's the hype of that. And, Whereas Michael Mayer's been they've been evaluating Michael Mayer for three years. And, and now and they're I, picking apart every little part of his game. And I hate the conversation. And I hate the conversation back and forth on Twitter because I don't dislike Dalton Kincaid. I don't. Right. He's a top five tight end in this class. Sure. No Which doubt. Is, and this class is pretty good because it's a pretty good it's tight good end class. class. It is a good class. But the fact of the matter is, is I don't think anybody's even close to Michael Mayer. Like, bias aside, because, I mean, you could look at <laughs> – I'll tell you this right now. Isaiah Foskey's not going to be crazy high on my edge rankings right now. He's not. Right. I mean, that's just personally, right? right? I, it's, it's There's not actually a, a lot thing. of – Mel Kuyper ha- thinks a lot more of Isaiah Foskey right now than you do. You think he's yeah. more of a round three guy. Mel Kuyper had him in his first round of his of his pick, of his draft. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think I think he's a, I think he's a second to third round player right now. Isaiah yeah. Foskey on the field, talent level, he's a first rounder. Sure. But I mean, again, we're at some point that has to actualize itself, in my opinion, right? But I mean, I, I just don't see what you can look at and say that that guy's like. Not even Dalton Kincaid. I'm taking it to Darnell Washington. I've seen people put Luke Musgrave in this conversation for Oregon State. I'm just like, look, man, Luke Musgrave's a nice little athlete. He's he's got some developmental potential. He's not Michael Mayer, man. Like, he's not. He's just not. 
You, I mean, Brian, I mean, you, you saw it, right, man? And it was like one of the first games Michael Mayer saw it, like played at Notre Dame. You're just like, yep, that guy's different, man. It's just difference. It's just easy yeah. to see that that guy's difference. And yeah, yeah, I don't know. Whatever. I think the other thing too, for me, Ryan, I think the only guy in my, in my opinion that belongs in the conversation with mayor is Darnell Washington, simply because he's such a freak athletically. If the light goes on for him, he could be really, really good, right? Yeah. That's the only guy and, to and, me that if you're going to talk to me about him, I wouldn't agree with you, but I'd at least, okay. And, it, and at least he has a baseline where you can say he's going to be a dominant blocker at the next level. Even if he never becomes a high volume pass catcher, you're like, okay, but he could still be Bubba Franks or Mercedes Lewis, right? Which is right. still a good football player. It's still good. It's just, Right. You might have to supplement in the passing game a little bit if that's all he is as a pass catcher, right? If he's a yep. 40 catch a game, if he's a 40 catch a game, 40 catch guy on a season, you might need to get a second tight end. So that kind of ups right. that production a little bit. That's just right. where we are. Let's get on some more here, Ryan. Uh, super chat from Adam Shipley. Of the current roster, including incoming freshmen, who has the highest ceiling and who has the highest floor on the defensive line and linebacker position groups? Well, I've already we talked about this yesterday. D line's easy for me, Ryan. Highest floor, yep. Devin Houston, highest ceiling, Bubakar Traore. That's I think you have one. I think your ceiling is different than mine, correct? Yeah, I mean, my conversations between Armel Mukum and Bubakar Traore, like yeah. I think that they're pretty they're pretty close. I think that you honestly can flip flop those guys. I agree hundred percent though that I think Devin Houston has the highest floor. Charles Jackson is both for me on offense. I think he has the highest floor and the highest ceiling. Yeah. Yes. Sam Pendleton yes. probably be number two for me on floor. He's got a high floor. He's got a high floor. Charles Jagasaw, man, he had a great – he looked so good as a senior. And it's crazy to think that he was playing with a knee injury after the second game of the season. I mean, that that kid's going to be special, man. He's going to be special. Let's keep him healthy. JJ Goodway with Super Chat. JJ, thank you very, very much. Um, I'll ask you this one, Ryan. How would you break up the quarterbacks in the spring game? Which players are paired together? I mean, we talked about this, right? Like, I didn't have like a – substantial substantial opinion on this but i think that more that we kind of talk through it you on one side you have tyler to begin the game on the other side you have sam hartman that's where it is and then i mean i mean how would i pair the rest of it i mean it doesn't really matter either way i I want them to i want the second half to be a large influx of steve angeli kenny minchie i want to see those guys so i don't really care like i don't care if minchie's on sam hartman's team or if he's on Tyler Buckner's team, regardless, I just want them to be spread out and to get as many reps as possible, obviously. All right, let's get to uh, some more questions here. We'll uh, kind of work through some of these as quickly as we can. Uh, Coach Koch, here's one. I'll ask this, Ryan, because this is one you'll have a better feeling on for me than me. Uh, He says, what do you think of the the Princeton preferred walk-on? That'd be Cole Aubrey, correct, or Audrey? Is it Aubrey or Aubrey? Aubrey? Aubrey. He is obviously determined to play for Notre Dame. Any chance he cracks the rotation? I, I, Coach Cox, it's a good question. Are we talking defense or special teams? Because the answer I, is different. Yes. I, I, so he's a kid that's interesting in the sense that he's had some production. But, I mean, the, the point blank period to it, and as I had a chance to talk to him to, last night, and I'll have kind of a piece on him pretty soon. But he's a kid that understands his role, I think. You know, he talked to me about – whether it is as a rotational player or a scout team player or a special teams player, 
he's going to work his butt off and he's going to do whatever it needs to do to be, to be an asset to the team. So, I mean, for me, just kind of looking at him briefly, I don't think he's going to crack a defensive rotation. I think that he's going to be a key special teamer, which is going to be great. And I think he is a kid though, that from a depth perspective can at least give you a look from a, as an inside linebacker and could play some Viper for you, especially on like scout team opportunities and do all that type of stuff. So I think he's going to be a versatile player that can play multiple spots, but his real role on this team in 2023, in my opinion, is as a special teamer. Agree. Here's a question that we can answer somewhat quickly. This is from David Lois says, what were our classes during uh, ranked during the Weiss era? So just real quick, really, Rivals is the only outlet that still exists from then. Scout's gone. Um, I don't even know if ESPN has archived theirs back that long. 247 didn't start till I think, what, 2010 or 11. So it's really Rivals. And their 2000, Charlie's first full class was the 2006 class, which finished eighth. The 2007 class, that was the Jimmy Clausen class. That class finished eighth. Uh, they signed, was it like two or three five stars? One five star. So that'd be Jimmy. I thought Golden Tate, ESPN had Golden Tate ranked like 14th and had Gary Neal ranked or uh, Gary Gray ranked in the top 25 as well. The 2008 class finished uh, second. Uh, The 2009 class was one that actually, here's what's funny. The lowest ranked class that they had was the 09 class, which finished 21st. That class produced, you want to, you want to hear who was in that class? Okay. Tyler Eifert, Zach Martin, Manti Teo. Chris Watt, Sear Wood, Theo Riddick, Zeke Mata. So yeah, that was the low ranked class. By the I, way, I haven't heard, I haven't heard Zeke Mata's name in a while. Man. Yeah, Zeke Mata was a good college football player. And yeah. then his last class, I mean, you really can't count. But I mean, look, that class finished 14th. But in a lot of the guys they got, I mean, he he got T.J. Jones, he got Bennett Jackson, Charlie uh, Staff did. They got Tommy Reese and Andrew. Uh, Tommy Reese was committed to them. I think Andrew Hendricks was as well. Kendall Moore, Prince Shembo, uh, Lewis Nix committed when they didn't have a coach. So that's wild. Yeah, that's wild. yeah. Tony wow. Alford recruited them when they didn't have a coach. He he committed between uh, Charlie being fired and Kelly being hired. So wow. yeah, yep, 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 yep. Uh, J.M. Jonesy eighty. Uh, here, here's here's one. Yep. The question is, Brian, one thing you didn't discuss on your linebacker golden show was the cross training. Besides the scheme being complicated, I think having the linebackers learn two or three spots hurt their development also. I think there's merit to that. I think honestly, though, but it's not what I would say is I don't think cross training by itself hinders development. I think it's how you teach cross training, how you teach it, right? Is there so much crossing that they never figure out anything or they're practicing 80% of the time at this position and then 20% of the time they're working this other thing. So I didn't go to any of the practices. I couldn't tell you how they worked on cross training. So I can't, can't a good conscious answer that question. I think hindsight 2020, we can look back at all the issues and say, I think that might be might have been a problem and there's merit to that. But I can't say for sure because I see teams that cross train all the time and it works well. And, and so it would just, it would have to be, are you, are you allowing them to master one at first and foremost? Um, you know, um, that would be, that would be kind of, that would be kind of the thing for me is I'd want to see how they did it. So. Yeah. Yeah. 
Hey, reminder, hit that like button, subscribe, people, share it, of course. Logan Thayer, this would be one for you, Ryan. Um, here's a good one. I don't know if this is true or not, so I'm going to ask you. Uh, when Brian Dabble started with the Giants, he scripted plays designated to get Daniel Jones to fail and Tyrod Taylor succeed to see how Jones responded. Sometimes coaches need to give that extra push. I, I've never heard that, Ryan. Did you ever hear that? I, I've never heard that either. It's yeah. in, it's an interesting kind of what we call psychological test, I guess, right? I mean, you're trying to see how a guy responds to adversity, which I think is very interesting. I mean, I, I definitely have seen coaches that have – they have tried to put players through like the worst possible situations to see how they get out on the other side, but I haven't heard this specifically about Brian Dayball, but I think there's merit to it, right? I mean, to be a quarterback especially – you need to be resilient, man. Like you need to be able to fight through the fire and all those cliches that you hear. So if he, if true, I think it's a very interesting idea to do because I, I think that you need to know that, especially because we're talking about Daniel Jones specifically, Daniel Jones is about to come up on a contract opportunity, right? So right. if you're, especially if you're going to invest in a guy, I need to be sure that he's the guy, right? Like I can't have any questions at that point. I've said this all along for quarterbacks, especially in practice, but in practice, you have to have periods of practice that you set up for tougher. You're kind of setting them up to fail. You got to yep. see how a quarterback's going to handle when his number one and number two and number three options aren't there. Or when you're calling plays that, that are being run against a defense, that's not suited for what you do. One of the mistakes that they made during the Brian Kelly era, I don't know if they did that this year or not. Again, wasn't a practices, but I, I they did a lot, way too much setting the script up for them to have success. And that there's a time and place for that. But if you don't set them up for, gee, we're not prepared for – like Harry Heastan, I was told you should do this all the time in practice. He would just throw these stupid looks at his at his offensive linemen, just all these crazy looks during different periods and just bring all these different stunts and blitzes during, during periods because he's like, well, if you guys can pick all this up and know the rules, because there's certain rules that apply that kind of can prepare to pick up anything. You know, but I'm going to throw some stuff at you. Maybe on Monday you get your butt kicked a little bit too. But by Thursday you've got this stuff picked up. And guess what? There's nothing they can throw at us on Saturday that's going to catch us off guard. But if all week you've been working on this one play against cover two and it, and it works great against cover two, but then you call the play and they go cover four or cover three and your quarterback doesn't know what to do because he's only ever seen the look against cover two, then you did not prepare him to be successful. Yeah. And so that's why you've got to put him in those positions from time to time. We, if he we throws a pick on similar. Tuesday, then yeah. you, it's all it's all good. But by Thursday, he 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 knows where to go, and that's we should we should do something similar when I coach too, Brian. Like we would do the same stuff, just like throw out these stupid blitzes against offensive line, and you're like, that's not even in the playbook, man. Like that's right. not even a thing, right? Like doesn't yeah. make sense. But yeah, baptism by fire, man. Ultimately, yeah. here's a question from Brandon Plensner says: Are you concerned with the fact that Bryce Young was has a Hall of Fame D line for a dad, but doesn't have the technique or uses hands that one would hope he'd have? you think technique would be his main asset. I'll say this. I'm not worried about it. Two reasons. Remember, that was one of my criticisms of Benjamin Morrison as a junior. His technique wasn't really great. you know. And you remember his dad played in the NFL as a defensive back. The thing for Bryce Young is I don't think he's played football that long, number one. I I, I don't think he grew up playing football. I could be wrong on that, but I, I thought I remember seeing that. Number two is he's still learning how to just function. Like as a he, He's had a couple big growth spurts. It's a long, gangly kid who I don't think is quite coordinated to the level that he needs to be. I also don't think his hand play is as bad as some people make it out to be. But he's still just a junior in high school, you know, and not every dad who's a Hall of Famer is out there every single day putting his kids through drills. Some dads just want to be dad. Archie Manning's Arch, Arch Man, Archie Manning is that way. 
You know, it's like, yeah, I'm sure he worked with the kids and all that, but it's like, I'm dad, right? I'm not, I'm not your coach. I'm your dad. And you know, there's some of that too. And the other thing too is I don't think Bryce Young really adopted football as something he's passionate about until recently. You know, and that's the other thing too, is especially if you're a dad who's had a, my kid has to, because he's going to always be compared to me, my kid has to, he has to choose this path. Sure. And, and it's, and I'm, I'm to the point where I'm going to take a hands-off approach. Cause I need to know that when he does make that decision, that it was his decision. He wants to do this because he wants to blaze his own trail, you know? And so it can be tricky, honestly, Brandon, I think it's a very fair question. I think it's a very good question. It's just not something that necessarily concerns me a whole lot, to be honest with you. You know, it helped Joe Walt, right? But the fact that it's not the case here, it just doesn't concern me a whole lot. Especially for his age. I think that's the key thing, right? I mean, he's grown into his body. Like you said, he's still a kid that does look a little awkward movement. Like he's a good mover, but like you can see he's still growing into his frame. He's still growing into his body. I, I think for me, especially... We're talking about a junior in high school. At the core, Brian, like I'm looking for kids that have unteachables, right? Like I'm looking for guys that have the athleticism, the length, those things that you can't, you can't change. You know, you can't change that. You can't, you can't really coach that up. I can coach up hand play. I can coach up a better stance. I can coach up a better get off. Like those things are things that I can work on. There's nothing unteachable that's. Bryce Young lacks, right? He's a long kid. He's pretty explosive. He's got a nice po- profile to develop. It's just about the uh, the teachables that you can give to him. So I'm not I'm not as worried just because of his age. If he was a if I was an NFL coach and he was like 26, I'd be like, eh, sure. I don't know if he's ever going to quite get this. <laughs> but at now, 16 or if, 17 years if old, if he doesn't have a bit of a jump as a senior, then I'm you know now that he's embracing football more, Brandon, then I'd be a little bit more concerned. To be honest with you. Uh, let's see here real quick. I want to get to some more. Uh, Indy Irish 25 asks, is, does no, LSU win a natty in the next three years? And if the, and do they win because of BK or in spite of it? Number one, I don't think that they are going to win a title. I don't. Uh, but if they do, it would be because of Brian Kelly. I mean, I mean, you can't look, I dislike the guy, but if he, he didn't, he didn't walk into a situation with a loaded roster. He had to go get a bunch of transfers and, and all that kind of stuff. If they go win a title, it's because he put a staff in place to go win a title, right? It's not like he's walking into the 2019 roster and you're like, dude, like, okay, Larry Coker, like, of course you won a championship, right? You'd have to give him credit for that, in my opinion. And now again, is he going to do everything possible to to get them there? No, there's always going to be some, uh, but you know, that's one of the benefits of being LSU. I I was told this by all the LSU people. It's much easier to recruit at LSU. Oh, okay. Well, then he has no excuses then, right? I mean, so he should be able to go win then because he has no excuses. But honestly, if he wins, it'll he'll have a role in it. Certainly, he'll he'll serve credit for that. Um, I just don't think he's going to win one. That's yes. my thing. Here's an inter- another interesting from Brandon. Out of all the new re- offers these past three weeks, who are five guys that intrigue you the most or the guys you'd want Notre Dame to get? I'm going Darian Mayo, TJ Moore, Benedict Ume, uh, Mello Jones, and Daniel Freitag. Well, two guys for sure on that list are guys that I would want for sure. Um, I, I'm, I like Mayo a lot, but TJ Moore and DeMello Jones are two for sure yeah. that I would I'd love to have. I do like your list, Brandon, because I, I, Benedict Ume is a kid that I'm very interested in. I don't know if I would push for him if I was Notre Dame, just because there's a it's a big defensive line board right now, man. There's a lot mm-hmm. of talent on that board, so I don't know if I would prioritize him. Obviously, 
But I think he's very talented, and I would continue to recruit him because he's another kid that could take a big rise because he's raw, but he's very talented. DeMello Jones is one for sure. Like, DeMello Jones would be a take for me yesterday. Like, yes, yeah. make that one happen. Leonard Moore is someone that, that he's, Brian knows. He's one of my three. He's one yeah. of my three, no doubt about it. Honestly, Ryan, my, my only concern with Daniel Freitag is I, I like him, but my, my concern would be is he really going to be dead set on playing football? That that would be that would be one of my kind of my my hangups on him a little bit. Yeah. Honestly, would, would would be that uh, offensive line wise? I mean, I, I like a couple of the offers have been thrown out. I, I kind of like the Styles Prescott kid. I mean, I, I'm, he's not like oh my gosh, you got to go get that kid if they if they push for him and get him great. If they don't, I'm all good. But I, he, that's a good offer. I think that's a good offer. Sure. Uh, and and then the fifth one for me, Ryan, is I really like the 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 uh, Daring Dupree kid, the running back from Illinois. I like Dupree too. I, I like yeah. him quite a bit. That would be yep. my other one. My other one. He's a good one. He's a good one. Uh, Darren Dupree is a good one. Davis yep. Andrews is another one that I that I. He's not my. You know, he's interesting. I, yeah, he's interesting. I might have to put him over Styles Prescott because he could be a rover, could maybe be a safety. I'm not quite sure where, but he he's that kid's athletic, rangy, yes. and a good football player. Really good football yep. player. Agree, agree. I know uh, Brandon mentioned Darian Mayo. He's a really toolsy kid. Yeah, really yeah. toolsy. I guess he's not on my list because I just don't get my hopes up about the DC kids anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, uh, well, yeah, about, he's, he's got I'll, some tools, man. I'll give you. I'll give you one. Brian was the uh, the Platt kid, the Braden Platt out of is, Washington. Is that the running back linebacker kid? Yes, Yo, that kid can ball. Yeah. Brian, he is a 214-foot yeah. javelin thrower, yeah. too, man. What now, the heck? Ume, Ryan, I haven't seen enough of to have an opinion on that one. Yeah. So he's got he's got some Stefan Tuit in him. Yeah. Not saying he'll be that, but he stylistically, I, I can see a little yeah. bit to it. The Platt kid, though, out of Washington, man, he is a ridiculous athlete. I mean, yeah, he's he's listed at uh, there's a lot of different heights and weights on him, but he's got a verified four six something in the 40s, so he can run a little yeah. bit as a linebacker. But he's a 214-foot javelin thrower, 150-something-foot discus thrower, and a 61-foot shot putter as a linebacker. Yeah. That is yeah. wild, wild yeah. stuff. Well, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. Uh, here, here's one. Here's a couple, Ryan, before you got to get out of here. Here's one from Joel Gallegos. Says, I know Sammy Brown was a targeted linebacker for Notre Dame, given I think he is a long shot to come out of Georgia. Has the staff moved on, or does Sammy keep things pretty tight-lipped? You, you so I have a decent relationship with Sammy Brown. I'll say this: Sammy Brown is definitely interested in Notre Dame in the sense that he's very intrigued. And I mean, he's been on a visit. He's planning another visit. The, the staff has been by to see him as well. And so, no, Joe, I'll say this: it's not like an all egg in one basket for Sammy Brown, right? Because I think that you understand that that's going to be a tough pull out of Georgia, man. Like that would be a ridiculous pull. I don't think that Notre Dame will ultimately land Sammy Brown, but if you're Notre Dame staff, you don't stop recruiting Sammy Brown. The kid's a stud, man. Because if you reach your numbers, Ryan, you still take them. If you're yes. only wanting three linebackers and you land three linebackers and Sammy Brown wants to come to Notre Dame, you say, okay, we're taking four linebackers. This class. Kid's <laughs> so a that's stud, just man. There's always room for Sammy Brown. Yep. Always room for Sammy Brown. Kid's Here's an interesting, Ryan. Let's go with this. And this is entire running back rooms. Give me your top three. Rank the following running backs room from worst to first. Alabama, Michigan, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Florida State, Penn State. Give me your top three. As an entire the, group, right? Entire, entire group. Entire, so not just one, two, entire group. Um, here's here's mine. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I'd say for sure in order, but it's Notre Dame, Penn State, and Michigan. The reason I'm going with those three over Ohio State is Ohio State's one, two, and then major question marks, right? 
Uh, Alabama has a good running back room. I, 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 you're counting on freshmen and freshmen that are good players, but I don't think are necessarily better than Jeremiah Love. Or Jeremiah yeah. Love's going to have a hard time seeing the field. Uh, and then, you know, Florida State's got a really good running back room, but they lost one of their running backs. Uh, really good one, out. too. Yeah, really he transferred out. Yeah. Uh, and and so the, that's why, to me, Penn, now Penn State's room went from probably second for me to third because they lost the number three Kay- running back. Kayvon Lee. Out. Yeah, he yeah. transferred out. So yeah. uh, their one, two is as good as anybody's. I think next year, but I'd probably go, I'd probably go Michigan one. And again, my, my issue with Michigan is their, their number three is look, Notre Dame has the best one to four, but the reason okay. I give Michigan, the reason I give Michigan the edge there is because they have the one guy that's way more proven. You know, Blake Horm is really good, really good. And none of yeah. the Notre Dame guys have necessarily shown to that level yet, but yes. if you know, so their one, two is really good. I don't think the rest of theirs is as good as Notre Dame's, but that one is a pretty big advantage for now. I could see it changing during the season, but for right now, that's where I'm at. We would have the, we would have the same three. I would probably give Notre Dame the slight edge just because again, it's it's to four, right? To five, right. to six. Like you have so much yeah, depth. It's nuts. You really do. I mean, but yeah, Michigan's one two duo of Blake Corum and 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 Donovan Edwards, like that's dumb, man. That's a yeah. really talented duo. And but then Penn State, I mean. If we're talking about 2023, though, I mean, I expect Nick Singleton and um and the uh, what's the other kid's name? The the little uh, scat back type. Yeah, oh, Catron uh, K- Allen, right? Is yeah. isn't he a 200 pound kid? Uh I thought he was bigger than that, but I could be having him confused with the kid that left. Yeah, Kayvon Lee was yeah. the big kid. He was like 230 yeah. or something. Yeah, Allen's like, that. like 200 pounds. Yeah. yeah. I always get him and Lee can yeah, as far as body so, type. But so yeah. Allen and Singleton could change of pace in 2023 yeah. could be stupid good it could be really well, he's from north the other kids from north of virginia so i always tell you that's where the ballers are from so uh rick that's, that's Doyle, here's second string yeah thanks so. oh well played well played <laughs> very well just came to you that was good that was i'm impressed get ready for the greatest roast of all time the roast of tom brady a netflix live event happening may 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Here's one for you. for It's kind of NFL draft related, Ryan. Um, Bowers or Mayer? So Brock Bowers or Michael Mayer, who has the better NFL career? Bowers is amazing, obviously, but I see Mayer dominating for years. I, I just say this, Ryan, tell me if you agree. Yeah, It's hard to say that because, number one, I don't know what systems they're both going to be drafted into. Exactly. You know, And then what kind of tight end are you looking for? If you're looking for a George Kittle, then, yeah, you're probably going to look for, you know, Brock Bowers. If you're looking for more of a traditional tight end, you're going to want Michael Mayer to me. So that's my thoughts. What are yeah. yours? I mean, at, at some point, right, this conversation has to come to, do you value the full package or you just value one thing, right? That's where it comes down to. 
can Brock Bowers be a more impactful pass game weapon than Michael Mayer? Yeah, it's very possible. It's very possible. The kid is an incredible athlete. There's no doubt. But he's not ever going to be a blocker. He's just not, right? Even if he gets up to 240, 245, he's just not going to be that guy. Like, he's he's a mismatch weapon. Like, you move him around and you take advantage of the mismatches you create. Michael Mayer can do a lot of that differently, not the same, as far as how he wins. But then also he's a block. He could block his tail off when he, you know, and he's developing in that regard. So I think that Michael Mayer is the better all around player. I do. I think Brent Brock Bowers could be a more impactful receiver. This is a comparison between, you know, again, do you want Kyle Pitts or do you want the all around tight end that's a dominant player, right? So right. I think that I think that Mayer is going to be a very successful player. I compare him to Jason Witten. Like, I think yeah. like he reminds me of that dude. Like, he's well, just somebody in the chat said he's, he's a Dallas, year. he's a Dallas Cowboy guy. And, and he I really you, is. And you've man. used that Witten comparison before. And I think it, it makes a lot of sense. Ryan, can I get you three more? Yes. Real yes. quick uh, before it. you get out of here. Here's yep. a go from John A1. Better OT combo Blake Fisher, Joe Alt, Ronnie Stanley, Mike McGlinchey, Eichenberg, Robert Hainsey. I do think it's going to be Fisher Alts projecting just Good slightly. Enough. Okay, I I yeah. do, I do, I because look, I, I I'll say this: out of all those players right there, I think Joe Walt leaves college as the best player of anybody on that board. I do. He's got a chance. I, yeah. I think he's going to end that way. Now, the second part is, you know, what's the separation, right? How much better do I think Joe Walt's going to be than a than a Ronnie Stanley, for instance, right? Or a better than a Liam Eikenberg? But I think that the pairing, again, if Blake Fisher even comes halfway to it, where he is now to his ceiling, then, I mean, I think it's a no-brainer at that point, right? I mean, based upon what I've seen, I, I would go here Stanley McGlinchey from everything I know right now. But from where I think it will be, I think it's going to be Fisher-Alt. I do. I think right now it's Stanley McGlinchey. The 15-tackle yes. tandem of McGlinchey and Stanley was, without question, the best we've seen. Without question. The one you left off was the 13 top t- uh, duo of of Zach Martin and Ronnie Stanley was pretty darn good. Uh, pretty team only good. gave up eight <laughs> sacks that year with Ronnie Stanley at right tackle and Zach Martin left tackle. I think people forget that Ronnie Stanley was the right tackle that year. Yeah. Uh, and 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 the uh, Leenberg, I Ainsy, Eichenberg and Hainsey were just really steady. Uh, Stanley and McGlinchey were dominant in 15. That's the best so far. I agree with you yeah. uh, that that. Alton Fisher will be, especially if they both come back in 2024. Oh, it will. You're talking about maybe one of the best tackle tandems in Notre Dame history, if not caught football. I mean, that's that's a very high praise and a little bit absurd. But look what they just did as sophomores. Right. Imagine if they're if they're seniors together. But yes, yes I, I think by the end of 2023, Ryan, I could see I could see that. But if that's true, if we're even having that conversation, it's phenomenal because that tackle, that offensive line in 15 was so good. Yeah. So unbelievably good. That's what's funny is that one, that one, that one would have been the Joe Moore award winner to me. If the, because the Joe Moore award wasn't a thing then, was it? When did the Joe Moore award start? I'm, I'm not sure about that. But if, if, I'd have to go look to see what the history of the Joe Moore Award winners are because if they didn't win it then, then goodness gracious, that award is just trash. Let me find it. It started in 15. They gave it to Alabama. Lost all respect for the Joe Moore Award because there was not a better <laughs> line than Notre Dame's. There was not a better line than Notre Dame's in 2015. Um, so, yeah, that's going to be pretty nasty. The second one that I wanted to ask you, Ryan, yep. and this is kind of kind of for me, to be honest with you, 
TJ Stalika said, uh, Brian, would you rather who would you rather uh, as head coach for your Denver Broncos, D'Amico Ryan's or Sean Payton? I'm gonna give my answer. I'm curious to get yours. A thousand percent D'Amico Ryan's, and I don't even know a lot about D'Amico Ryan's. Uh, I've heard good things about him, but I am not. I think Sean Payton is an overrated coach. He's a good coach, but he's not worth giving up multiple draft picks to get, especially a first rounder. You already mortgaged your future for freaking Russell Wilson. So you're going to give me an overrated coach and an overrated quarterback, and I had to give up multiple first-round draft picks to get there? Hard pass. Uh, that, so I'd rather take a chance on D'Amico in that instance. That, that's the separator. That's exactly what I was going to say. Is If everything was created equal and I get both for the same price, like, yeah, I'd probably go Sean Payton. But the fact that Sean Payton comes with so much capital that you have to give up to get him, yeah. D'Amico Ryans, even if he's an unknown yeah. commodity. Is, is he bringing a, a, in his prime Drew, Pre, Drew, Drew Brees <laughs> with him? You know, because that's the reason they hired Nathaniel Haycock. Well, look how good he did with the Packers. He had freaking Aaron Rodgers. You know what I mean? Like, of course he did well there. Uh, Here's the last one, Ryan. This is kind of a draft question. Logan Thayer asks, if Caleb Williams or Drake May was in this class, would the Bears trade away Justin Fields to take them number one? I think it's a better chance than it is this year. I think so. Yeah, because, I mean, if you're staring Caleb Williams in the face and you say, hey, man, we like Justin, but – probably our guy right like Caleb Williams is significantly more talent talented as far as playing the quarterback position right so I think it's more likely that that would happen this year Logan than it would if it was you know the 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 former in that regard so I think next year would be a lot more likely I do yeah I mean Drake may maybe not you know I we still need to see a lot more from Drake may but I mean Caleb Williams doesn't have the holes that the other quarterbacks in this year's class have holes meaning like with you know we know about CJ Stroud Bryce Young's there's nothing he can do about I mean Bryce Young is a complete quarterback outside of his body 511 185 right 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 but his game is you know flawless to a degree I, I really think that it is Caleb Williams doesn't have that right he's got a truly elite skills. So yeah, I think that, I think that there's going to be a lot of teams tanking next year. There's going to be a battle for, there's going to be a, the battle for the bottom of the NFL draft or for the NFL next year, I think could be even as competitive as the top, just because you're going to see teams trying to tank for, for Caleb Williams. I I really think so. I really think so. So that's the only one I definitely had for you, Ryan, that I wanted to definitely get for you, but uh, because I know you got to, you got to run, but uh, you're obviously more than welcome to hang around for a little bit and finish the rest of these, but I know you got to go, got to go pick up your daughter. So it is what it is. Uh, Let's get down here to some more of these questions here. Stone Adore says, could Notre Dame's ranking next year be higher um, in the season, having played one or two more games than other teams? Alternatively, could the late buys later in the season hurt their ranking? Well, I I think Stone Adore depends. It depends if they go into November needing wins to climb up the rankings. Let's say they've lost, you know, let's say they, they, they're ranked fifth going into Columbus and they get blasted and drop to 11. They're going to have a hard time in November with having two weeks off and like late October, November, and into November, uh, going to have a hard time climbing up where they needed to get to, but that would have been the case anyway. I, I just think at the end of the day, I, I just think the buys are better for the team's health as far as like being healthy, really healthy down the stretch, uh, being healthy enough to get a win over Clemson, being a win, a healthy enough to then finish strong, and then going into the postseason as a really fresh team. So I, I just I, I like those. I, I don't think that they're going to have that. They're not going to be that much further ahead than everyone else. Just a game. A lot of teams are going to have like late October, November buys. They're just going to have not have the earlier buy, so it'll just be one game ahead. But if anything, I, I think it could help them 
you know, in, in a lot of different ways. It just depends on when they lose. And, and the problem for Notre Dame this year is none of their losses that we expect them to lose, like unless they lose to NC State and then beat everybody else. But none of their projected losses, Ohio State, USC, or Clemson, are as the three most likely losses. If you're going to have a loss, is is going to be one where you say, boy, it was so early it doesn't matter. So I, I just feel like if they beat Ohio State but then go beat USC and Clemson, I think they'll be okay as long as they don't get blasted. And I think if anything, I don't think Notre Dame's going to be ranked super high early, You know, probably like top 15-ish. So you can say getting to play every week and getting a chance to go out there and just win and get better as a team is going to is going to help with their ranking. And then maybe when the first committee rankings come out and, you know, let's say Notre Dame is sixth and they've got two buys uh, during that period of time, these teams are knocking each other off and Notre Dame's just sitting there coasting, you know. So, yeah, they're not moving up because of the wins, but they're not moving down because they're getting beat. So I think that's another part that that factors into it uh, into it as well. It, for me when I when I look at it so um, that's kind of my thoughts on it I got to get a couple more here that before I before I get out of here um, let's see here uh, Logan Thayer says if you could fill one entire position group with five stars every year but never land any five stars at other positions which would you rank uh, treat the d-line uh, and edge as separate because they'd be too easy well I mean like D line and edge. So let's say in that instance, we're going to go the four down then um, that's my answer. I mean, I, I think you kind of jumped uh, kind of where my answer would be. If, if there was one position that, and, and when I say five stars, not five star recruits, but five star players, that'd be my other premise. So the other thing we, let's accept is when we're not talking about what recruits they were, we're talking about what they are in college. I really feel like if you've got an elite five star, just destroy people right up the middle defensive tackles, you know, like, Look at Georgia last year. Give me, give me a Jordan Davis and a Jalen Carter at three technique and nose. Jordan Davis would be my nose. Jalen Carter would be my three technique. And and I mean, if I'm just good everywhere else, I'm gonna dominate you. Give me a bunch of top hundred to hundred fifty caliber four stars with those two dudes up the middle, and I'm gonna be really good on defense. Really good on defense. That'd be mine. I mean, look, corner would not be corner because if you have great corners but you can't rush the passer, it doesn't matter as much. It wouldn't be linebacker because they're all de- – they're, everything is dependent on the D-line. And to me, it, where if I could say give me a five-star edges or five-star interior guys, I'm taking the five-star interior guys. Again, we're talking about those guys being five-stars as college players. That's where it would be for me. That That's – I mean, that's just – I think that's – you know, and I'll be honest with you, there's not a position on offense that I would care about having nothing but five stars other than quarterback. Again, we're talking about what they are as players in college, not recruits. Uh, there's really only two positions to me um, that I care about, and that's quarterback and D tackle. That's it. If I have five stars there and I'm just good everywhere else, I'm going to have a really, really, really good football team. Really good football team. Um, so that's 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 my take. That'd be my take on that one. Good question. Good, very good questions. Very, very good questions. Let's get to some more here. We got one from Omar Austin. Uh, all the 2022 and 23 linebackers are moving to line because of the numbers or depth problem going forward. So uh, I don't know of any of the 2023 linebackers that are moving to the line. So I, I must I missed that if that's the case. I think the it's 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 not so much a, a numbers or depth problem. Um, 
cause a, okay so you're saying it will it cause a numbers or depths problem no i don't think so because i think Notre Dame is kind of moving away a little bit um you know so i you know i i guess um yeah i hold on a second let me see it did this break now hold on a second give me a second everybody all right so it has been announced so um Hold on a second. Yeah, so uh, I see people, I see people tweeting about it. So I don't know if it broke. I was asked not to say anything about this, but uh, yeah, James Laronitis is going back to Ohio State. So that is um, that is going to be there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yep, that's that's the reality. So I'm not sure what Notre Dame's going to do now. It just kind of happened within the last 24 hours. Um, so yeah, we we shall see. But, um, um, yeah, so anyway, so that's, it's out there and we expect that to be the case, but, uh, there's no official announcement yet, but we expect that to be the case. All right. So next we have here, um, Michael Keeley says, do you think Notre Dame fans gain the respect of Ohio state fans? Similarly to what you've mentioned happened with George in the past, went to their place and played them tough for a game. Um, you know, Here's the thing for me, Michael, I, I there's 110,000 people in that stadium. I'm sure some of them gained respect for Notre Dame. Most of the Ohio State fans I know just think Notre Dame didn't – Ohio State didn't play very well. Oh, this guy didn't play. He was hurt. This guy was hurt. Most Ohio State fans I know just don't – you can't have rational football conversations with. There's Notre Dame fans like that, and there's other people like that, but just the ones that I know. So I can only speak anecdotally. There's an Ohio State fan here says he's always respected Notre Dame. So – but that was there before. I, I couldn't tell you. I really don't know. I haven't gotten that vibe, though. I haven't gotten that. Like, Georgia fans, I got that vibe immediately right after the game. There's Georgia fans cheering for Notre Dame as they ran off the field at the end of that game. They just respected how hard they competed. Um, and the fans respected it. I don't know that Ohio State fans are that way. So, um, yeah. So, give me just one second. Uh, all right. So, anyway. um. All right, let's get to these next questions as we wrap up here. Uh, get to here. That was a good question though from Logan Thayer. I, I really like that one, the one about uh, about five stars. It's, that's a, that's an interesting one. Christopher Leone asked, "Do you think the Pac-12 will break through and make the playoffs this next season? It looks like a lot of those programs have good talent and return good quarterbacks. Thank you, and have a great weekend." Well, I, I think that there's some that have a chance. I absolutely think there's some that have a chance. Um, look, to me, USC has a chance. Like if if USC runs the table this year, they're a playoff team. I mean, they're going to have a win over a good Notre Dame team. You know, they'll have to beat Washington and Oregon. They'll have to beat Oregon on the road. They'll have to beat UCLA plus the Pac-12 championship. Um, I mean, that's just that's just the reality of it. So, um, you know, they, look, if they go on the road and beat Notre Dame on the road, that's going to give them a lot of a lot of love uh they get utah at home uh so we talked earlier about like you know what will here's what usc would have to do in the last six games to be a playoff team they'd have to be notre dame on the road utah cal on the road that should be an easy one washington at home at oregon and then ucla at home and then they'd have to win the pac-12 championship so yeah they run the table and let's just say let's just say you usc loses early to arizona state in a weird game and then they run the table on that, they're going to have a really good shot of getting to the playoff. Uh, another team that I would look at as having that similar opportunity is Washington. 
you know, look, I think Washington probably has to go 13 and 0 or 12 and 1 with a, a somewhat of an early loss. But Washington will have a chance. Uh, they'd have to have kind of like a TCU scenario if they have a loss where uh, they got in. Like, let's be real. DCU got in because some teams got beat right down the stretch. It, the committee would have loved to have put a one loss USC that won out at down a stretch in there and, and, and Ohio State and teams like that. But they didn't. And so the, so Ohio State backed in. And, you know, if Clemson runs the table down the stretch, if if Clemson and USC both run the table down the stretch, I think there's a legitimate case that they would have made. I wouldn't have bought it but they would have made the bump TCU out and put one of those two teams into the playoff. I absolutely think they would have done that. I, I wouldn't have agreed with it, but I think they would have done that. So Washington would need something like that or run the table. And I think they've got a schedule that's capable of it, but it's going to be tough, but it's the same thing. They got to play at Michigan state and then uh, they got Boise at home. So it gives them two reputable, relatively reputable wins, but at Arizona, then they have a buy coming out of that buy. They have Oregon at home on October 14th, Arizona state at home at Stanford at USC and November 4th, home against Utah, at Oregon State on the 18th, and then home against Washington State on the 25th, and then the Pac-12 championship. So I think USC is going to be ranked. I think Utah is going to be ranked. I think Oregon State is going to be ranked. And I think Washington State is going to be a quality team. I love that their quarterback's coming back. I thought their coach did a solid job. They played good defense for Washington State. So I could see Washington State being a team that's also a, a tough win too. So the t- part of it is how your schedule sets up. And I think both of those teams' schedule set up well that that allow them to kind of go out and you know win some games and have some success and build up a reputation of wow did you see who they beat in late October or November or whatever the case may be and and go from there and so I think that is that is two teams that I look at I don't know if I mean I don't know if any of those teams are capable of it I think Oregon has a similar situation where Oregon could be a team that schedule wise could get there. You know, they play at Texas Tech, they play at Washington, they play at Utah, they play USC at home, and then they play Oregon State. So they'll have a schedule that absolutely can give them a chance to get there at 12 and 1 and 11 or 13 and 0. But I just don't think they're as good of a team as those other two, to be completely honest with you. And that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm looking at it for that one. So uh, I just, it's going to be interesting. Somebody mentioned this in the chat. Drew Pine is going to play against all those teams. So unless they get Jaden Rashad and decide to start him this year, you're, you're probably going to have Drew Pine as your starter at Arizona State. And then what do they do? You know, like, what are they going to do in regard to, like, do you, I mean, you're you're going to be sitting there watching Arizona State, watching Notre Dame, being like, let's go, Drew. Let's get it done, right? Um, you know, it's going to be fun to watch. It's going to be fun to watch. And I hope that he's able to ha- kind of have an impact. Could you imagine like late in the year, Notre Dame's fifth and an Oregon or a USC or a Washington is fourth and Arizona state knocks him off, knocks that team off with drew pine. That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> I think that'd be really cool. Uh, so yeah, that'd be, that'd be a lot of fun. Be a lot of fun. Uh, so uh, let's get to some more here as we, we wrap this up. So many great questions today. Um, Robert Bishop says, does anyone think Spencer Sanders or Sp- or Rattler can work their way into the first round? Look, I think if Spencer Rattler has a big year, he could just because he throws a beautiful ball and somebody's going to overrate him. Uh, I don't think either one of them are first-round draft picks. Uh, let's see here. Um, A-Bent Nendi, how overrated is Arch Manning and how much unfair pressure will he be under? Um, I don't think he's incredibly overrated. I mean, he's not a top 10 player. He's a top 35, probably 25, 30 player for me. 
Uh, he's a really good quarterback. He's a he's a five star, borderline five star. He's not a top five guy. The pressure, I mean, it's enormous. I mean, he's a Manning. He's going to have all of that weight on his shoulders. But you know what? The first two handled it pretty well. And and the thing, if it, it, you look at Arch, and he's just kind of like this mild mannered. He's a lot like Eli, to be honest with you, where he just. The stuff just – he just doesn't care. Like, he put some update about his first week at Texas out, and he put it on LinkedIn. Like, what? what? <laughs> like, he doesn't tweet. He's not on social media. He just goes out there and plays ball. Uh, I don't think he's a, in a, in a truly, truly elite player, and so he's going to need a, some talent around him, but he's going to be smart. And he's a pretty decent athlete, and he's a pretty darn good quarterback. You know, I'd probably say 20, probably 35 to 50 is, is probably um, where I'd say I'd probably have him in my ranking. I haven't finished my final rankings yet, so I can't say for sure. You know, but again, he's a borderline five-star kid for me because he has a lot of the intangibles that you that you want in a quarterback. And and I I think that's important. We have Jim Bob Billy Pants asks, do you think Hartman has the it factor? Honestly, you know, to me, I can't tell you. Uh, because I'll say this, he did at Wake Forest, but it's a different animal than Notre Dame. And so it doesn't always translate. You can have the it factor in FCS school and then go to the division one and you just don't have it there because it's a, it's the pressure's greater. The spotlight is greater. Um, all the aspects of it are just far greater. And you just, you just have to, you have to be able to, kind of handle things that you, you you don't really know how you're going to handle it until you actually are put in that situation. So you could say, Hey, I did this at Wake Forest and I was totally fine. Wake Forest has like a 30 something thousand something seat stadium, right? I mean, sorry, it's this different animal. They're not playing in games that are going to have the magnitude of what he's going to be playing at almost every week at Notre Dame. And so the reality is, is, is you can't, you can't know how he's going to handle that. Based on what he did at Wake Forest, I, I like to think that he's going to be in position to to do that. But like, look, he plays at home. He played at home last year against Clemson. There were thirty two thousand nine hundred three people in the stands that day. That's it. You know, when when he goes to Clemson this year, Clemson's packing seventy eighty thousand people in their states and their seats when he's playing Notre Dame. They're going to have eighty one thousand people in the seats. Over twice as many people. Completely different environment, and it's just a different pressure package. It's it's. You know, if you beat if you beat Clemson when you're Wake Forest, you're like, wow, generational upset, what a great win, blah, blah, blah. You do it at Notre Dame, it's like, well, yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. You're the quarterback at Notre Dame. Fair or not, that's just the reality. That's just the reality. And 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 I don't know if he's gonna be able to handle that. I just I don't know. We're gonna we're gonna find out if he's capable of having that. Uh last one here, and then I'm I'm gonna uh, wrap up here. Oh, here we go. Um Logan Thayer, last two. He says, um, would you rate Manning or Carr higher if they were in the same year? I would rate Carr higher. I think CJ Carr has better physical tools. He's he's more accurate. He's got a better arm. Uh, he, he's he's a, similar athletes. Arch has got a little bit better body, but I I would I think uh, Logan. I think CJ has a little cleaner release. So I think CJ is the better player. I, I do. I think CJ Carr is a really excellent player. I had him as a four and a half star grade kid as a sophomore. I don't give that kind of grade out very often. Um, he was he jumped up to a five stars as, as a junior, and and part of it was because of the some some of the struggles he had. He had a really bad game early in the year. We had like several turnovers, and and it's like okay, let's see what this kid's made of. And he bounced back the next week and just ripped his opponent apart. I was like, okay, that kid showed me something. He had a really bad week, and he stepped up and really really did well. 
and he he taught me something that week. So I I, I thought that was that was impressive. That was really impressive. So I, I liked what I saw from him in that regard. So that is actually going to do it, folks, because I, I have to get rolling. And we've got the IB Nation Sports Talk Show starting right now. They are getting ready to go live with their uh, Friday uh, Rapid Fire. So go check that out right now. Uh, before you do, though, however, please hit that like button, folks. Please hit that subscribe button. Hit the notification bell. Share this podcast. Leave us a five-star review. And as always, make sure you check out the boards at uh, or sign up for the message board at boards.irishbreakdown.com. Have a great rest of your day, and we'll see you guys again here very soon on the Irish Breakdown Podcast.